Introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. looks like a war zone of a house as we get packed up hoping to move soon moving things to storage uh, so that we can make our trek up to the woodlands uh, for a job that I am more than excited about uh, at the John Cooper school in the woodlands a private school up in the woodlands um, anyway enough about that but uh, just in case some things sound a little different between now and whenever I move and get set up and get my man cave all figured out might sound a little different some of these podcasts Uh, i'm getting towards the end of the spring break interview so this week i've got my current superintendent uh, dr charles dupree on and uh, he is leaving after this year he's uh, i believe june 10th is when he's officially um, done with fort bend isd and his plans are still, you know, not known and, and what, what he's going to do. Uh, but Dr. Dupree and I, Charles, as I call him, because uh, we are on that level. Thank you, Charles. But um, he, he became my friend. He's my, uh, he's like, he's not just a, a superintendent to me. He's actually become more of a friend than a superintendent, which is not obviously how it started. But um, it's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's for me personally as a man and as kind of an educator that is still learning the ropes to have somebody that has been through it done it been there done that kind of thing uh and even live through uh not live i say that like it's a horrible thing but but even uh as a as a private sector individual as an as an accountant um it was it's it's great to just get feedback from him and every time we meet up, he asks me how, how I've grown as a man. And uh, when he, I'm not going to lie, when he first started asking, I kind of, it was a lot harder to think about. But now I know when I am going to see him, I, I know he's going to ask and I prepare. And I think that's very good. You know, keep have somebody that um, has had so much influence on so many people to be able to just have private conversations with somebody like that. Uh, I value that more than uh, he'll ever know. I know he's probably listening, but I value that more than more than anything. And and I think we get into the story of how Dr. Dupree and I kind of became friends. Um, and that's not really the important part of the interview and, and the discussion. It's the, the important part of the discussion is that this is a superintendent of one of the largest districts in the state of Texas. Uh, not just with the number of students and staff, but also just geographically speaking, it's just a massive, massive district. If you go from Bush High School to Ridgepoint High School or even like Willow Ridge, I mean, it's an hour plus uh, to get from one end to the other. So it's just a large, large district. And for him to appreciate, he appreciates everything, but he appreciates fine arts and theater especially, uh, and is very supportive. I mean, it's hard to not be supportive when you have schools like Bush High School and before Bush High School, you had Travis High School. Now we've got Kempner High School, all of which are going to state. You've got Ridgepoint that is uh, constantly a regional, and I don't mean to uh, put Ridgepoint down, but it's like they're kind of the bridesmaid theater company because they're always right there uh, with phenomenal shows and they just, it, it hasn't broken through yet, but I, I know it will, uh, in the next few years, especially with Brooke, but, uh, it's, it's been, it's been awesome to see that support and the way we met was because of theater. The way we became friends was because of theater. Uh, and, uh, that's just kind of how we've continued to bond, but now we've grown to know each other and it's just amazing. And I, I love that journey that I'm on with, uh, becoming his friend. So I hope you really enjoy this interview with uh, the superintendent of one of the largest districts in the state of Texas and his uh, feedback and perspective of theater and beyond. Uh, we talk about a lot more than just that. So it's a really fun conversation. 
with Charles, I can sit and talk to him as long as he's available. Um, and, and I'm glad to do that all the time. So, uh, I hope you enjoy this again. It might be, I don't know if there's any dated material in here, but keep in mind, we recorded this back. I think it was actually on St. Patrick's day. I, I could be wrong, but, uh, it was around that time. So, you know, if there's anything that's dated, I mean, it's almost a two month old interview, uh, then forgive us. But, uh, that said, uh, lots of things happening. I know last week I talked about Texas thespians having professional development. That's still a thing. Just because you missed out on the early bird doesn't mean you should miss out completely. Uh, but if you go to the texasthespians.org website, you can see all the names of the amazing professional development workshop leaders that are going to be there. Uh, super excited about that. Summerfest coming up with TXCTA. I um, am training to be an adjudicator next week, so that's kind of fun. Uh, I hope that that's something that I get to do. Now, it's no secret. I am I am not going to tell your children or the, the director how to be better at directing or uh, acting necessarily. I have my opinions and such, but my background is design and tech. So if you're thinking about next year, clinicking, all that kind of stuff, yeah, I'm hustling right now. Uh, if you're thinking about some clinics that you just kind of need that extra set of eyes for tech, I, I'd be happy to tell you some things about acting and some perspective and things like that. That's what I was trained as, as an actor, but I kind of grew into the design world. Uh, but I'm happy to be a clinician. I'd love to be an adjudicator, um, but uh, I'm just happy to get the training under my belt. And I finally be, bit the bullet and became a lifetime member of TTAO. TTAO. It's my favorite of all the acronyms because because of just how forceful you can say that acronym. Anyway, enough about me. Uh, I did open your good man Charlie Brown this week this past week, and it is closing. As we speak, it's closing today. I opened up Moana as well, and I wrote some cues for somebody doing a small version of Suzical, three shows in one week. Follow me on Twitter, at Mr. Blake Miner. Friend me on Facebook. Like the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Enjoy your week. So I was born in um, Morocco, Casablanca, on Thanksgiving Day, 1961. On that day, my parents adopted me, um, took me straight home from that hospital to the Air Force Base in Casablanca where they were living. My dad was in the Air Force, and that's where they were stationed. We lived there about three years. Then we moved to the United States, back stateside, and we were in Maine for a few years, and then we were in um, San Antonio. While we were in San Antonio, my mother passed away. We had had a, she had had some significant health problems, which is why um, she couldn't bear children and why they ended up adopting me. But she passed away a few days before my fifth, before my sixth birthday. And then um, two years after that, my dad had remarried and was an alcoholic and I was in an abusive home and he decided he didn't want to be a dad anymore. It was made even more uncomfortable because they were a white family. I was a brown child. And so we went to court, and he gave up custody, and I went to live in Fairhaven Children's Home. And it was a faith-based home in central Missouri. Lived there from age 7 until I was 18 years old. Um, it wasn't an easy time because I was alone. And, you know, I lived in a house with 10 children and two house parents, and I was well taken care of, good food, good safe environment. But psychologically, emotionally, you know, it was, it was a challenging season. Um, because I was the only brown kid in the entire school system as well. And so I was, I was always different. I, don't, I didn't always know I was different. Um, but I had good teachers who taught me, who made sure that I succeeded. Ended up um, graduating near the top of my class from that little school. And um, because of that and because of being an orphan, I was able to go um, no charge to college at yeah. a private Christian school. And um, got a degree. I was going to get a degree in education. That was always my first love, was teaching and, and investing in others. I was always a camp counselor and retreat, those kind of things. But um, my, my junior year, I realized that people, my friends graduating with accounting degrees were making $25,000 a year. My friends graduating with education degrees were making about 11000 So I changed my degree to accounting because I had no backstop of a family. So I ended up getting that accounting degree, graduated in four years, came to Houston to work at Arthur Anderson, ended up working a few years there, 
And then I got in, uh, is in the oil and gas industry a total of 11 years um, as an accountant in downtown Houston. And in 1995, I had the opportunity because of a connection to the superintendent in Fort Bend at the time to come to Fort Bend ISD. Um, my boss knew him personally. He needed four CPAs, and I happened to be one. And so on my boss's recommendation, he hired me to come and be internal auditor in Fort Bend. And I, did, I was internal auditor for a couple of years. I was budget officer for a few years, and then I was promoted to be associate superintendent. Got my master's degree while I was in that office as associate superintendent. Superintendent told me, she says, you'd be a good superintendent if you ever wanted to do it. And I said, never been a teacher, <laughs> never been a principal. I don't know how this works. Yeah. But she says, there's a waiver. And if you want to do it, get the master's. So I got the master's. And, um, and then a few years after that, I left to go to Pflugerville ISD to be deputy. It was a good career promotion opportunity in a little smaller district. Had broader authority over other than just money stuff. Um, I was literally there four months and the superintendent left. And the board said, we want you to be interim superintendent. Um, I was interim for six months. They said, we're not even gonna post this. We're gonna post it, we're not gonna recruit <coughs> or do a big search. We're just gonna post it and you can have the job. Mm. And I ended up um, serving in Pflugerville for seven years. And then when Fort Bend had an opening in 2012, the recruiter called me three times to be exact. <laughs> yeah. Um, to, to inquire, and at first I was like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm, you know, I've had a good career. I, you can't really go back home. Right. But the inside of me, there was always that little desire to go back home, to, to lead Fort Bend ISD, because this is where I started. Right. I invested 11 years of my career and my life here in this community. And so um, I ended up, after three interviews, I got the job, and I came back to Fort Bend as superintendent in 2013. And eight years later, here we go, and I'm looking at retirement. Yeah. So I had a curious question since I've known you for a while now, but uh, do you know how big the district had grown, how much the district had grown from when you left to when you came back? It had not grown a lot. It had yeah. grown some, and they opened Ridgepoint High School when I was okay. gone. We built Travis High School when I was here, okay. and it had opened the year I left, okay. and then they, they built one high school. So the district, even today, is growing. Right. right. But it probably grew from... I say when I left, there were probably maybe 60 to 65,000 students. Okay. And when I came back, it was in the mid to high 70s. Okay. Okay. So it was, we, they'd opened several schools. Right. And so, backstory on how you and I became friends, <laughs> and if you don't mind me telling, because uh, it's not a bad story, it's just a funny story, but mm -hmm. uh, the way I remember it, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, uh, I took some students to New York. You, well, before that, you had word that I was taking students to New York said I'll be there at the same time let's meet up and and uh, you know I'll see your kids and all that kind of stuff and then for one reason or another that it didn't end up working out but you felt you owed me uh, for quote standing me up but you didn't you know when when we had a full uh, plate of, of things to do it wasn't like our, the kids were standing out in the cold just where is our superintendent but um, it wasn't like that but uh, so and then we so we went and grabbed I think lunch or something and, yeah. and there there you go so uh, well that's I'm, funny I'm that grateful you felt you owed me so well, I'm, it's <laughs> funny to me that you would that you would see that as the initial connection I, yeah. and I, I that's probably right because that's when we kind of formed a friendship was yeah. over lunch but I hadn't I, met you but yeah because yeah, yeah. I just remember when I got back and doing convocations and yeah. things you were yeah. always very involved in yeah. that and I kept hearing about Blake 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 yeah. and why is he the one doing oh, all stop. this. Yeah, uh, and it, but then, but then, what what really kind of blossomed the, uh, the or grew, blew up the idea that you were kind of a, a theater nerd kind of thing, uh, was that convocation. I think that's when it really clicked with me. Like, oh, this guy really, like, theater is a thing with him. It's not just uh, a way to entertain. It's it's something you actually really enjoy. So with that convocation, mm -hmm. uh, you sang hairspray, correct? Or, or yes. Was that? Yeah. So, you can't stop the uh, yeah, beat. Yeah, can't stop the beat. So. <laughs> And that was, and, and you wanted a big production, and there was like a lot of, um, and what's funny about that, and, and again, I'll be a little candid, is some people didn't know why you wanted a big production, but I'm sitting there going, because it's a show. It's, mm -hmm. it's that he understands the theatrics. It's not, um, uh, it's not just another day, you mm -hmm. know, um, and, and it's supposed to be big for these, all the 
employees and the teachers and the, right. you know, they shouldn't walk in and be boring. Um, <laughs> so That's right. nobody wants that. Uh, so yeah, might I add yeah. that on that production, the reason I performed is because, you know, I can sing satisfactorily, right. if you will. Right. It's not embarrassing. But the reason I did it is because I wanted people to see I was willing to put myself out there sure. and take a risk the way I asked them to take a risk right. and to put themselves out there every day. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't it about being the star of the show. No, no. It was about being, you know, saying, man, he really put himself out yeah. there. I can do that too. I, and and I, honestly, I don't even think you were the star of the show. I mean, no. that, because you, there were so many students, especially those elementary kids. Oh, that yeah. Were, so and all the teachers were up there yeah. singing with us. Yeah. It was amazing. It was, yeah, it was more fun. It was fun to see a superintendent up there, but it was more fun for all these colleagues to be like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize, you know, so-and-so is going to do this or, That's right. wow, they really can sing. Because I, I didn't know at that time, name dropping Jennifer Marrero, mm-hmm. you know, she's a choir teacher. You assume they can sing. That's right. But she, like, sang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they all did. So, you know, that was fun. To, that was really fun to watch. But uh, I remember that well. But so, so you are a lover of theater you um, go to New York you know um, and and see shows and sometimes uh, will will find what time to go do that even if you're in New York for another reason so why why what made you um, you know I'm gonna have to say it's just part of my how I'm wired I think given my background when I was in the children's home I read voraciously okay. all the time. I was in a book all the time. And I think it was a way to escape. Yeah. I think theater is part of that as well. I remember distinctly going to see when I was probably fourth or fifth grade, the high school did an old show down in the valley. <laughs> and, it, you yeah. know, and it was the guy, there's a murder mystery, and the guy ends up in jail, and he, you know, happy ending kind of story. And, but I just remember being enthralled. And then I got to go see, um, when, I w- when I was in middle school, they did The Great American Dame, okay. which is called a play out. It's not really a play because it's a lot of vignettes, a right. lot of scenes about women through history. And it was just, I was enthralled mm-hmm. by the act, the cast, the acting. And I, and I could still quote scenes from that. I probably have a copy of the script, <laughs> you know, because I just, I loved that show. And then so when I got to middle school, I finally was able to try out. But, but really, I think I always fell in love. And I even I even enjoyed reading. I still enjoy reading plays. Right. Um, just something about the, the literature, the, the content of them, and but then to see them come to life. I think, again, if I go back to the why, I think it just it's something I always escaped to, the fantasy of it all, yeah. the alternative life you could live, all the people you could be. That just always connected with me. Is there a specific style that you enjoy reading more than I am a classic okay. uh, Arthur Miller. Okay. Yeah. You okay. Give me a good Arthur Miller play on stage or in, in the playbook. And do you I'm, ever envision it? I mean, well, I know that's a dumb question. I know you envision it, but do you ever envision yourself in a role? Oh, yeah. You, yeah. Many different roles. Why don't you direct? Why don't I mean, why don't you try to try your hand at that? Why don't you? Uh, I got to direct a show when okay. I was in high school. Okay. I so one of the first shows um, that I got to see was Six Characters in Search of an Pirandello. Yeah. It was um, at Southwest Missouri State yeah. University, now Missouri State University in Springfield. And I'm going to tell you, I still, just sitting here, yeah. I can see it. <laughs> and so, you know, so keep it, so I'm going to, I'll reveal a little bit more about yeah. myself. So another reason I like theater, if I'm going to be on, honest, is because in my small town, it was sophisticated. Right. <laughs> okay. okay. And it gave me a vocabulary. It gave me something to talk about, something to be interested in that set me apart from the other kids in my school. Um, and so when we went to see that show, Six Characters in Search of an Author, I mean, they had they had one of those um, in the floor, mm-hmm. the escape hatch in the floor yeah. where characters would appear, and yeah. I don't know the technical term for that. I mean, the, uh, 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 yeah, keep going. I'm, but I'm the characters would, appear, <laughs> characters would magically appear and disappear through the floor, and, yeah. and, and, and just the whole plot of the show. Trapdoor. The yeah, trap there you go. But the, yeah, <laughs> they, they would just come and go through the trap door, and, yeah. the, and the whole plot of the show, it just was, it, it's so engaging. So my senior year as part of my theater four class, I was one of very, very few kids who took four years of theater in my school. <laughs> um, I, I directed 
that show. Yeah. And all my classmates were like, he has lost his mind. <laughs> Did you have a trap door? No, we didn't have a trap door, <laughs> but I was desperately trying to figure out how to make them come come and go. That's funny. So, but you, you've, you've grown, like, well, do you read musicals? Because I know like musicals have become kind of your thing. I know you listen to musical music. Well, actually, I go back and forth. Okay. I So, I used to love, love big musicals. Right. And I still do the right musical. Right. But part of my connection to musical is the college I went to, Harding University, had a big show that was put on by the fraternities and sororities okay. called Spring Sound. And so I went to that starting in seventh grade. So I loved that. It had hosts and hostesses. Oh, so you started solos. early going, going there. Yeah. yeah, when, okay. well, yeah when I, we would go yeah. every year. And, that's, and I wanted to go to Harding so I could perform right. in Spring Sound. Hmm. I did not, um, I, my first musical, musical production that I was actually a part of um, was my senior year. We did not do musicals in my high school. But in Springfield, they had Springfield Little Theater. And I went on a whim my senior year <laughs> and tried out for Punch and Judy, okay. the comical tragedy or the comic, the tragical comedy yeah. of Punch and Judy. It was a light musical. For ch- it was going to be a children's show that we were going to perform in a theater and then take on the road. Now, you got to keep in mind, this was in 1979, which is not that long ago, but it's a lifetime ago. Right. And, and I, am, I tried out. Um, I'm African-American, right? They called me into a room, and they said, we, um, we, we really want to consider you for Punch, but we want to know you're comfortable with Judy being a white actress. Mm-hmm. Well, they had the same conversation with, with her. Yeah. And we both said, of course. Yeah. She was happened to be a freshman <coughs> or sophomore at Southwest Missouri State. I was a senior in high school. Um, Caroline Van Stavern, I still remember her name. And um, and we we both agreed, and we did that show. Yeah. We, did, we did it on stage at the Little Theater. I learned so much in yeah. that production. I learned a lot about some things that I shouldn't know about that go on behind <laughs> the scenes sure. of a show, and because <laughs> sure. there were some adult <laughs> actors that you know yeah. that had that were experienced that were doing some things backstage yeah. they should not have been doing right. that I shouldn't be witnessing. Right. And um, so I learned so much. Like vocal warm-ups, I'm assuming. Oh yes, that's yeah. it. That's exactly <laughs> it. But um, but we then we I missed school a few days. We yeah. got to perform on TV on the local news. We went to some middle schools and performed for children. Did that elevate who you, your status at school? Did, did anybody oh, care? Oh, yeah. all my theater friends yeah. were like, "Oh my gosh, yeah. look at what he's doing." Because no one in my you know no one in our peer group had done that before. Right. I was real big in speech and debate, and and that's really a lot of where my love for the classic theater came to be is right. duet acting scenes. Yeah. You know, like, um, I'll never forget a young woman named Lisa Whitson. Um, she wasn't from my school, but she did some scenes from Death of a Salesman. Mm. And I hated her because she always beat me. Yeah. But I loved her <laughs> because she was, she just brought it in, brought it to life. Right. And in a dramatic interpretation, you know, at a speech tournament. So you can kind of see all these elements came to bear of me, the escapism of, of actually being in theater. Right. And, you know, I got to be in some shows. I got to be in one show, Red Carnations, the little one-act show that I got in. It was high school, but I got to try out when I was in eighth grade. Okay. And I got the part. So it was me and um, two, two young women who were high school students. So, yeah, you have a little bit of a resume. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but my first real musical, yeah. though, was at Harding. When I was in college, in my junior year, they did Oklahoma for the Homecoming musical, and I had never been in a musical to that scale before. Right. Punch and Judy, we maybe had six in the cast, and it was a light dancing right. show, but this was a full-blown musical. And if you know, and so I went and I tried out. Um, I probably shouldn't tell this part, but I the night before tryouts, I had gone to the trestles, which was this big train trestle okay. outside of town. And we would go out there, well, friends would go out there and sit on top of the trestle when the 11 p.m. train was coming through and smoke cigars. Okay. <laughs> and I did that. Yeah. And the train comes through and you're sitting up there with all the rattling yeah. and all, and you know, it's a rush. Well, I did that for the first time the day before I tried out for Oklahoma in a singing part. Yeah. <laughs> From the cigars, my yeah. entire 
head was inflamed. Yeah. All the membranes, I had never smoked. <laughs> but I still got cast. And I remember going, and I, look, I looked at the cast list, and it said, Allie Hacken. Hmm. Some country guy, what is that? Yeah. Not having a clue, it was really one of the top love interests in the show with right. Ado Annie. Right. So I got cast in my first major musical in one of the second le- secondary leads and just had a, a blast. <laughs> it was a great, great experience. Of course, there's also some tragedy that was associated with that show. Okay. Um, one of my roommates um, died. Oh. Mon- he was actually in the show. And he died. They've never publicly said it was I mean, that he took his own life, right. but it's believed that he took his own life. Right. Uh, but he died on Monday before we opened um, on Friday. Wow. And so because of he, the way he died by hanging, right. um, they, we had to cut out some of Judd Fry's right. song yeah. just, for the, yeah. just for the sensitivity of the cast and the right. audience and what was going on. So that show has forever been it's associated with that loss and that very difficult wow. week that old show must go on but to what extent yeah it was very <laughs> yeah. very hard lots of emotion yeah. breakdowns yeah. you know it was just a very very challenging stuff but it was um, but it's still my it was just I love I love Oklahoma I right. can still sing the entire soundtrack right. and it just was a great experience Do you, what other musicals are up there on your uh, I know Chorus Line uh, Chorus Line was the first touring no Cabaret was the first touring professional show I saw in Springfield. Okay. With my theater teacher. Where, where is, what is the space in Springfield? Like, what's the... It was at the up? Hammond Center. Okay. So it was, a, it was a stage set up on the floor of, like, the Hammond Center, which is like a big okay. basketball area. So you're you're looking down at the yeah. show. Okay. Yeah. It was. Now, six characters in search of an author, mm-hmm. that was in, in a, a theater setting. Okay. okay. But this was more of a touring to get more people in. Right in the Hammond Center, yeah. the way it was constructed at the time. It may have been remodeled by now. Okay. So you, but but you Cabaret, saw Chorus Line there I saw Cabaret well. there, and okay. then in college I saw Chorus Line okay. in Little Rock Okay, okay. In, a, in a theater, and then I also saw Annie shortly. Okay. So all those shows are shows that I still enjoy. I think if I had to name a favorite, I've got, it'll be hard um, because the, the updated versions of Cabaret were transformational for because I didn't really understand the show right. as a young person. Now to really know what it's about yeah. was very, it's just been very transformational in how I see things and I love the sentiment in the show. Yeah. Um, but I also love Billy Elliot. Right. I've had the opportunity to see it a couple of times on Broadway and in the West End in, in London. Okay. And, um, and I just, I think Billy Elliot resonates with me because he, his mom has died. You know, it's yeah. about a young and there's some songs in there that he sings with his mom that just yeah. always move me and reduce me. Yeah, I think uh, you, you mentioned Cabaret, and I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but so when we went and saw Ragtime, you had never seen it before, and so it was news to you, and there were certain portions that were probably going to hit you different than they hit me, mm-hmm. and that's how I felt the first time I saw Cabaret, because I didn't know much about Cabaret from the first time I saw it. This was, mm-hmm. I was in high school, come flying in and I was like oh this went from zero to 60 real fast (laughs) and so so as a as a you know Jewish teenage boy sitting there having fun at this like first act of cabaret and then all of a sudden those flags come flying in uh I mean it was I remember that was the only time in my musical theater life that I felt the bricks like Mm -hmm. I felt like I just smacked into a bunch of bricks yeah uh seeing that that was I mean that was super so uh, many scenes in that show were just like that. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but they wait. It's not they they, they lure you in mm-hmm. uh, with the first you know whatever forty five minutes of the show. Yeah. You're like this is really fun and kind of lighthearted, and the MC is really fun, and then all of a sudden it just it just takes a complete turn. Yes. Uh, but yes, it's a very it's a beautiful show, and uh, mm-hmm. I've been fortunate enough to know uh, one of the, one of the people that was with uh, Alan Cumming, mm-hmm. uh, one of the stars of that show is. A, my best friend's brother, which sounds like a sitcom, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> so, so I was able. What's to see his that. name? Uh, Aaron Crone. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. Well, I, d- I don't know if I ever told you, but I actually have our neighbor's son was in it. Oh. A guy named, young man named Michael O'Donnell. Okay. And the funny thing is, in, in the Alan Cummings version, yeah. and yeah. he's actually on the, this original Broadway this soundtrack. Okay. So I, d- I happened to mention something to them about, oh, I'm going to New York for the first time. Because yeah. I didn't, so that's a, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Let's put a pin there. But I, I, I happened to mention to our neighbors, who were an older couple that gave our boys piano lessons. Right. I mentioned to her, I happen to be going to New York. She goes, oh, well, our son, um, he's in cabaret. And I said, oh, what's his role? Oh, he's like in the orchestra or something, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Well, <laughs> he he was, but he was also an understudy. Okay. For the it's like a swing. Yeah, but, yeah. He, but he also had one of the um, featured roles in the, um, oh, the one with three. Right. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. The song I'm, I'm talking understand. about. Yeah. He, so he had some featured performance so roles. Stage time. Yeah. 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 Lots of it. Yeah. And so and so I just happened to, I wrote a little note. And so first of all, when I got home, I'm told his mom, I'm like, uh, he's not just like in the <laughs> orchestra. He's like, he's right. like here. He, it was like amazing. And I had never met him yeah. before because he was, he's older. Yeah. But I, I wrote a little note that I had sent down to him. And he sent a note back and he took me backstage and down into the dressing room. Never met me. I just said, right. "Hey, your mom's a neighbor, a good woman, love yeah. her, blah blah blah." And he, that's cool. It was my first time to get to go backstage and see all that. It was a great experience. Yeah, not not uh, nearly the type of producers <laughs> <laughs> that we experienced, but yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's always fun. The, the, and also the seeing the Broadway uh, going backstage can sometimes ruin it for you, but also mm-hmm. sometimes be quite cool as far as how they just. Such small space. Yeah, yeah. Those Broadway, those Broadway theaters are built up, not out. So, mm-hmm. uh, what was it about? You said put a pin in the New York. Uh, well, see, I did not. I, I've loved theater my whole life. Yeah. You know, we, would, my wife and I, would regularly, we've regularly gone to theater where yeah. we've lived in Houston for yeah. most of our life, but also in Austin, we'd go to a lot of touring productions yeah. and university shows. Finally, got to go to Broadway for the first time in the fall of 2000. Yeah. And um, and I. I always think about that uh, for a number of reasons, but I, um, Kiss Me Kate was the first show I got to see on Broadway. Okay. We were there three days, and I still to this day kick myself because I did not think to go see more shows. Yeah, I saw one show that we had tickets to with the group we were with, and I'm like, I have this great opportunity. <laughs> so the next time we went, I saw a show every day. Right. And now my pattern is if I'm in New York, I see at least one show a yeah. day. And sometimes two if I can get a matinee right. and an evening. Because I'm like, you don't get to go often. Right. And so, but I, I didn't get to go for the first time until 2000. And what I always, the highlight of that trip, which it's, you know, it's a, another milestone event in, the, in our nation. I was dancing on top of the World Trade Center mm-hmm. at a bar called Windows on the World. Yeah. Um, and I guess it would have been October, November 2000. Right. Less than a full year right. before the whole thing came yeah. down, and I always think about we were there. I remember that elevator ride yeah. to the top, and, to, and just so I always have that image of how in the heck did that yeah. whole thing come down the yeah. way it did? Yeah, that uh, I've got some friends that were impacted by that, but um, not to make light of any of that, but I, I, I can now, and I didn't know this that 2000 was the first time you'd been, so mm-hmm. I can say that I saw a Broadway show before you. <laughs> it's okay. It took like, me a while, but I go back I regularly now. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, you're you're there, you're a more frequent flyer there. But Sometimes I just tell my wife I'm going. She's like, "You're not taking me," and I'm like, <laughs> "No, I'm the theater nerd in this family." But I found a couple little places where you can get a little teeny bedroom, yeah. a little hotel with a twin bed, which yeah. is the goofiest thing, and I can literally touch both walls when I extend my arms. <laughs> That's cheap, yeah. and I'm and there. It's decent in a decent, safe yeah. place in Times Square area, but I'm like, I just, I just, I love to go. Sometimes if there's a show, like I got to see Philip Seymour Hoffman right. before he died in Death of a Salesman with Andrew Garfield. Yeah, and of course the real star of the show was I can't think of the actress's name, but the woman who played the mom. The, the mom. Yeah, I mean they were all phenomenal. The whole show was amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I got to see. Um, well, I'll, I could go on and on. Well, so what show surprised you? What show did that you sat down in the theater and, s- and just thought, y- not that you walked in with negative ideas, but that you mm-hmm. didn't have really any pre- 
preconceived uh, ideas about it, and, and you walked you know, out thinking, wow. So the, the first show that surprised me that way was not on Broadway. Okay. It was it was when they launched Jekyll and Hyde. Okay. Yeah, you like Jekyll and Hyde. Most people. Oh yeah. my goodness. <laughs> I like the original. No, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. where my snobbery Not comes through. Not the Hasselhoff Jekyll and Hyde. No, because <laughs> so in all the gigs, I probably lectured you on this before. Yeah, yeah. When when Alley Theater and Theater Under the Stars first did it, yeah. the original show before it went to Broadway was amazing. Yeah. But on the way to Broadway, they Somewhere. they created composite characters, they eliminated people, they changed the motivation of Jekyll. The whole thing, they just destroyed the show. <laughs> But I've got a soundtrack version of that original, the complete works yeah. that I still love. It was just a magical, magical show and totally surprised me. Okay. Bill, Billy <laughs> Elliot was kind of that same way for yeah. me. And I had no idea I would love it. The way you, I but did. you knew the story. You know, I, I kind of knew the story yeah. a little bit, yeah. but not, but not okay. completely. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I knew that you loved Jekyll and Hyde, and I knew that you didn't like the change, but as far as being surprised, I guess, yeah. of, of, of is, is your copy on CD of the music, or do you have it like? Of Jekyll and Hyde, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. CD. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've moved it to my iPod. Okay, you know, okay It's on my old iPod, <laughs> classic. Because those are getting obsolete. I know. Uh, so I want to I want to. I've got Dreamgirls in that same form, by the way. On CD? Yes, or, okay. the complete works of Dreamgirls. But this, but Dreamgirls, is that not Beyonce Dreamgirls, or is that? No. This is so. Th this is a very special CD. Okay. It right. was a it was a fundraiser they did. I think it was for Broadway Cares or something. But it was a concert version, mm. the entire show, um, with some dialogue. Yeah. You know, the bridging. Just to lead, yeah. And I'm telling you, it was amazing. I still listen to that on a regular basis. Who who do you know who the actresses are? Audra McDonald was in it. Um, I cannot know. Okay. I mean, there's several names of. If you said them, I would recognize yeah. them because they're more recognizable even more now than right. they were. Okay. But All yeah, right. it was. Um, but I still that's that's <laughs> another show that is just I've, I have not got to see on Broadway. Yet. Have you heard the Audra McDonald ragtime? No, I have not. Okay. I'm okay. sure it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean it's that that's my uh, Jekyll and Hyde. I mean like that mm -hmm. that album. <coughs> excuse me. Is every time I hear it, it's, it's that's mm -hmm. goosebumps. Um, uh, so I, switching gears a little bit to the educational side of things, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm um, I feel like I'm hosting a, a show that nobody's watching. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, hopefully they're listening. I, yeah, they're listening. But uh, yeah, it's it's you know two walls on either side of us. Uh, but uh, the you're very supportive of educational theater, theater and education, whatever way you want to say it. Mm -hmm. uh, going to shows when you can. Even sometimes, like you, you come to, to some of the first or second act of a show uh, just because you had that little chunk of an hour, and so you just drove by and, and did it. And I remember you doing that, and you held my, you held Ava. Did you hold Ava? Or yeah, one of them. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I just remember being like, I'm busy here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Here's my child. Um, but uh, what is, <clears throat> you know, right now there's there's a lot of hubbub in, in Austin about uh, fine arts and credit of fine arts and making it mandatory or not mandatory, and we don't have to get into the politics of that, but knowing that it's currently sensitive, mm -hmm. uh, why is it important, because I know you know it's important, because you, you grew up with it, uh, why is it important to have theater, uh, well, fine arts and specifically theater mm -hmm. in our education system, and making it kind of quote-unquote mandatory? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, <coughs> I know you're trying to avoid the politics of yeah. this, but it's an embarrassment that we're even having this conversation yeah. about eliminating the fine arts to that degree yeah. in our state. CTE is amazing, and I will I equally support CTE, right. and, but, but, and there is plenty of room for both programs to thrive mm -hmm. and, and serve the needs of our children right. in our schools. Um, to me, theater is just, it's critical in many ways, what I think of as, when I think of theater, I think of every person, uh, th probably the most classic way I've looked at it goes back to my, the first time I attempted my master's in education. I'll never forget hearing how putting on a production, a theater production, really it's, it, it creates teamwork, it creates critical thinking, it creates all of the skills 
we're looking to develop in our young people <coughs> because it creates community, right? I mean, yeah, you got the talent on stage. That's who you see. Right. But everybody who's doing the costumes and the set design and not just designing it but constructing it, yes. the sound, the lighting, every aspect of all of that, that is a collaborative effort that brings this beautiful piece of art yeah. to life. And, <coughs> and we cannot forget the value that that brings to the students to be able to participate in that. Yeah. The other thing that theater does for many of our students is it's their family away from home. Yeah. You know, and every child needs a community or, to be a part of. Or sometimes their family. I mean, yeah, that's yeah, it. Sometimes, yeah. oh no, for me, <coughs> my, yeah. my friends from theater and speech and debate, all of us, we were a core group of friends. Here, I, I lived in a children's home. Yeah. But my friend Julie Cates, she picked me up and took me back and forth to practice. Yeah. All the, my, you know, we became close friends our freshman year. We were up the down staircase together. She was two years ahead of me, and she had the leading role. I was just Edward Williams Esquire, you know, a goofy kid in her class. But but we, she made sure I got to practice on time. Yeah. She drove by and picked me up from my house and took me home and. And it was just, it always felt safe. You know, yeah. Dan Smith, Tammy, Donna. I mean, I could go down the list of all the names of right. all my theater friends and buddies that we did life together. Right. And so it does. It's, it's your community. And, yeah, and, and it's funny because you fight. Yeah. You know, you fight because you wanted that part and then they got that part. And But in the end, you're all on the same team. Yeah. You're all working together. Yeah. So then what is it that, what is it that the people that don't want to see fine arts or theater as a mandatory credit, what is it that they're missing? Why is it Why is it that they are thinking that it's okay to eliminate this necessity? I think that they're operating from the <laughs> assumption that students who want to do it will do it, and that what they're trying to accomplish with CTE, with those pathways, is better for this, the state of business in okay. our state. And, I, and that's common, you know, right. so many decisions that come from our state leaders are about driving the business climate, right. which is very important. Right. But any, any of the best cities to live and work in our nation have got a vibrant, thriving theater yeah. community as well. Right. And we can't undersell the piece, you know, the investment, number one, the, the kids are learning skills in theater that are going to help them succeed. I mean, there's a lot of our theater kids, you know this. Yeah that they don't go into theater professionally, right. they don't study in college, but they've learned things yeah. that help them succeed in life, whatever it is they choose yeah. to do. Yeah, they come back, you know, whatever it be, a year, five, ten years later, and mm -hmm. say, I didn't realize that when we did X, Y, and Z that it was going to kind of help me figure this stuff out. I, I tell my students all the time, uh, when you own a house mm -hmm. and you have to change uh, even just a, uh, the, the wall plate on right. your socket, uh, are you going to know how to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, Maybe you'll know how to do laundry, and I'm not going to teach you how to do that in theater, which is also still something you can learn. <laughs> That's right. But there are certain like little things, you know, that, mm -hmm. that uh, especially, I mean, I, there's so many things that, and my wife will probably tell you, I probably didn't learn it as well as I probably should have, mm -hmm. that I will attempt yeah. because I have the confidence from uh, theater, like plumbing, I don't recommend anybody. Well, you think about it realistically, yeah. too. I mean, the, the kids you work with in set design, yeah. they, they're using their mathematics skills. Yeah. Yeah. They're all, you know, theater kids. They, 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 use, they expand their vocabulary. I think of so many vocabulary words that yeah. I know today because they, they came from a play. Right. I've set them in a play. So is there something that you think theater educators or fine arts educators can do to make it so that it's cemented that this, we have to keep this around. We have to make sure that, and not just the state of Texas, because I think it's affected in a few other states, mm -hmm. uh, that we make sure we're seen, we're heard, uh, we're felt important, et cetera. I think it's like anything else. Um, mm -hmm. Elected officials respond to the communities they serve. Right. So I think what you have to do is you've got to get all the, st all the students, you got to get a network of all the students right. you've taught who feel like they've benefited from your programming, and you, they need to Speaking. call, email, yeah. write letters to their their folks you yeah. know, at, the, at the legislature to let them know this is important. Right. You know, I may be a physician today, but theater was sure important to me, or I may be working in this job today, but theater was an important right. thing to me. And 
right. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean ad- advocacy is huge. I mean, yeah. you, you can go and tell they, – they need to hear from you, too, yeah. as a teacher. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. they, they listen to teachers. You, you know, you, you, you need to tell your story, and you need to get others to tell the story. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, – Voters. I don't, I don't remember the bill. Uh, I know that, that Jim has, has sent out lots of information on, mm-hmm. on that. Um, I forget, the, like House Bill 34 or something like that. But I, don't, I don't remember the number. But uh, th- there's been a lot of – recently, within the last month, even with Texas Thespians, mm-hmm. we've been publicizing, hey, you got to get in front of this. And I know uh, the president of TXCTA, Perry Crafton, who's at Austin Community College, was in front of mm-hmm. legislation this week or maybe last two weeks ago um, but anyway yeah it's 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 one of those I think there are a lot of people that feel and I could be completely wrong about this but I know that I was in this boat probably 10 15 years ago that feel like oh, somebody else will take care of that mm-hmm. um, and that ends up not being the case uh, you know you have to be right. one of these people that kind of speaks up the the idea of um, kind of Throwing content out there now that is so public, uh, mm-hmm. right? And uh, everything that, especially the digital stuff. Now, now we just share a link and we we watch a show. Um, the lack of, I guess, protection, if you will, of the students and uh, the program is just out there, right? Mm-hmm. So m- now my program is not just for the community; it's for mm-hmm. it's hyperbole, but it's for the world. Yeah. Um, to to speak on that. Uh, and is there is there a way that that directors need to kind of be careful with uh, the content and uh, putting your students out there and making sure that everyone is safe and still well I guess safe mm-hmm. I don't want to keep harping on that but yeah yeah I think I think that it's incumbent upon directors especially of those who work with high school students yeah to protect the students and to teach them yeah and to value them for the diversity they represent. Um, I see a lot of shows in our high schools. Yeah. I see our one acts. There are some heavy and intense content in those shows from language to themes, yeah. sexuality, racial issues, real issues yeah. that are not surprising to the kids. But often they're presented in a way where I'm thinking in the back of my head, I pray that that director has really intentionally yeah. processed this show and what it means um, for these children so so that they're not carrying the burden and the weight of the show, and that they're learning from it and growing as an individual through the experience. Um, diversity is also important, and I'm not speaking in the mm-hmm. way we often think of diversity. You know, I often, over my career as superintendent, I've gotten emails from parents saying, my daughter um, earned a, a, this very wonderful leading part, yeah. and it's got some swear words, and we don't swear in our house, and I don't want her doing that. Right. And the director says she has to do the lines as written. Well, that's a debate we don't need to be having. <laughs> right. You know, the, the, right. you have to respect that child and their family values right. um, and, and work with them in that way. So I think just, you know, every, in everything we do as adults in a school system, We've got to acknowledge we are developing, we're shaping these young people, yeah. and that we have to be very sensitive to that, to their needs, to the fact that they may not even be telling us what they're feeling. Yeah. You know, I had an experience when I was in high school, Miss Fawcett. Again, I, you know, she did it. She pulled out a cutting from the Great White Hope, which is about a black boxer right. and his white mistress. Well, she tried to get me to do that with my friend Julie Cates as a duet scene. I couldn't do it. Yeah. I was a brown kid in rural Missouri who didn't even know I was black, had no black people in my life, and she was trying to get me to do the dialect and trying to realize my full blackness, and I'm like, I don't even have a construct of what this means. Right. It resulted in me being an emotional 15-year-old running out of the room in tears, slamming the door, I can't do it, I can't do it. <laughs> Which was overwrought emotion and right. more just more theater, right? right. And, and she, we processed through it later. She was trying to help me grow, and 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 she and she helped me in uh, many ways. You know, I can look back on that now and see what she was trying to do. And she's still on my list of top three teachers I've ever had because of her investment in me. Because she saw me for who I was. But my point is, I think every director, everybody who works with young people, has to protect them, grow them, develop them, and and help them maybe be able to articulate yeah. 
what they're feeling and thinking as they deal with some of the rich, deep content yeah. of, of the shows they're producing. So you spoke on kind of taking care of, uh, and, and you uh, are very big and passionate on wellness and making sure teachers are, mm -hmm. you know, when, when it's spring break, it's spring break. It's, you know, right. shut down and don't worry about, don't worry about getting the other, you know, the, the work stuff, go enjoy your family, uh, go to church, go, you know, go do what you need to do to, and you've said this before about um, you, you can't, what is it, what is it about the empty glass? You can't. Uh, you can't pour anything from an empty yeah, cup. Yeah, you can't pour anything from an empty glass or an mm -hmm. empty cup. So uh, you're real big on making sure that cup is filled. Mm -hmm. uh, why, why is it that, um, or not why, how, how do you speak to a theater educator? Because as we sit here now, uh, you know, I came from my school today and it's spring break. That's not a complaint. It's just something that I needed to do uh, because of other uh, factors. But how how do you recommend, encourage, uh, motivate a teacher to simply just say, "Hey, relax. You, you can't give students anything if you've got nothing to give." I would say it to a theater teacher the way I say it with every other teacher and every leader and every employee in our district. You can only do so much. We all have 24 hours in a day. We can burn and burn and burn through the day, and we can go long hours, and we can wear ourselves out. But for what? To what end? Yeah. You know, you're you're useless to your family, which is really your priority. Yeah. You're useless to your students if you allow yourself to degenerate and be edgy and, and hangry and mean right. because you're tired and worn out. Yeah. You know, and the way to handle that is you just have to plan your schedules, plan your rehearsal schedules, plan your production schedules. And, and things happen, right? Yeah. I mean, accidents happen. We have weather days. We got to miss rehearsal. Right. We got to catch up before because we, because the date of the production is probably not changing. Right. So, but we have to live our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, tending to our needs in such a way that when crisis occurs, we can deal with it. Yeah. And it's in, because you're always going to have those extraordinary days. Right. You know, I tell a lot of people I work with on a daily basis, you shouldn't be here at five and six and seven o'clock at night, right. day after day after day. There's going to be days I need to ask you to do that, right. but I'm not going to ask you to do that five days a week, four weeks out of the month. Right. And so, and so, but some people, with me, I get hardwired mm -hmm. to standing at my desk. I have a stand-up desk as part of my wellness yeah. plan, but I, it, but it'll be 4:30, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm pretty much done for the day. But then at 5:30 or six, I'm still standing there answering emails, <laughs> right. because you're just hardwired and you get into it and you go. So. Yeah. You have to be purposeful. You have to take intentional steps, and I think any theater teacher can plan for right. wellness just like anybody else. The, the work smarter, not necessarily harder, mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so back to the fun stuff, and you know, get rid of the scores. <laughs> is it is there something in today's uh, world of theater education that you wish, and I, there could be a lot that you wish you had had uh, when you were in high school or even in middle school? Well, LEDs. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, lights at all. No, yeah. I'm going to be okay. honest. Every play I was in in high school was on a stage at the end of the basketball court in the gym. Okay. It was a built-in stage, right. but it had you couldn't fly anything. Right. Any any set design had to be big old panels that were built and moved around. Yeah. Um, we had one curtain that opened and closed. There were none of the curtains on the side. None. There were none. Yeah. It was just a bare stage. Right. And the back wall opened up into the band hall. Okay. So, <laughs> so you know, that was our dressing area, and we'd yeah. come in back and forth. And But, no, I just – I wish I would have had access to a real stage and right. real lights and real sound and real music. And, you know, because it's just – I'm – you know, I had – I just – I can't – I can't go without saying – my, I had amazing teachers. Right. I had Amy Hankins <coughs> my freshman year, and then she left. And then Janice Fawcett was her name. She showed up as Janice Rome. She got married, <laughs> and she became Janice Fawcett. She was amazing. Right. She had actually worked on Broadway from West Plains, Missouri, okay. went to Broadway, then came back to Stratford, Missouri, to be a theater teacher. Wow. And she was classic. I mean, she was flighty and giddy and laughed and, and light, and, <laughs> but she knew how to teach us. Right. You know, she brought the best out in, in all of our shows, and I am forever thankful for her because she did shows that I could star in. Right. 
you know, she did because she knew. Um, she saw my ability, and she knew in that small town I could never be the love interest, the right. leading man. So we got to do, um, we did Our Town, which is still yeah. one of my favorite shows, yeah. and I got to be stage manager in right. Our Town. I still can't believe I memorized that entire script, <laughs> yeah. but there's certain moments in that show that were amazing. Yeah. I got to be Sheridan Whiteside in The Man Who Came to Dinner, which was is still another yeah. one of my very favorite roles. Do you remember the st- like some of the dialogue? Do you very few bits. Okay, okay, very okay. few bits. Because okay. I was about to say, is there a name that you've forgotten? Because you you have a you have like a, a rolodex of names. Because <laughs> I, I mean I remember my high school directors too and, mm-hmm. and, and such. But you've listed off like I can I don't remember people I was in shows with or lit or did. Well, these are like people that, that were influential. They're very influential. Yeah, 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 yeah. And thanks to social media, you know. A lot of my friends, you know, my friend Donna Johnson now, she was Donna Snodgrass back then, she still points out that she was Maggie to my Sheridan Whiteside and how I, she also happened to be the vice president of student council while I was president that same year and I treated her just like that, you know, so she, I think she's finally gotten over that bitterness, (laughs) but we're good, we're friends now. Yeah, I mean, the more you, uh, I guess the more you say that, uh, one of my uh, longtime friends, Courtney Sauls, who's in Dear White People, like she had a, she had a whole episode about her in the show that's, you know, kind of changed uh, the way a lot of people look at Netflix shows. But uh, I was I was Elijah Whitney to her Miss Harcourt in Anything Goes. Mm-hmm. And so we still talk about that because Elijah Whitney's a drunk. Yeah. And, 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 this, and this was in eighth grade uh, that we played these parts. And so uh, we've, we've talked about that quite a bit about uh, I didn't play a very good 13-year-old drunk mostly because I didn't know what that was. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and that's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, uh, like loosen your knees up a little bit and slur your words and you'll be just fine, but uh, that's funny. So, you have a you do have a large memory of these plays. Is there like are you going to sit down and write uh, you know, put all this stuff in something and I, and I know you kind of we've kind of talked about this before about writing, but um, but are you do you want to like get it all somewhere in it. I don't want to call it a memoir because that makes you sound old, but, um, but I'm going to, I am planning to write a book at some point. Most people, after they hear, especially the story of my childhood, tell me I need to write a book. Um, I have a theater chapter. Yeah. Oh, there'll be a theater chapter because there's just so, and it could be a very, probably half the book, honestly, (laughs) because it was just such a a big part of my life. But even today it still is. I still, but as, as you talked about earlier, I've really, I l- still love a good musical, but yeah. I, I've come to love sh- just straight plays. Yeah. Yeah. I had, the, I was able to see <coughs> Brian Cranston in All the Way, mm-hmm. um, which was just remarkable. Yeah. I got to see the close of the day it closed on Broadway, okay. and that was just a slid in right under the wire. Yeah. So, uh, so we it's spring break. We'll, we'll, you know, go our separate ways in a minute. But uh, usually, I want to end things with. Uh, advice or fun uh, little quips, but I think advice from you. So um, because you you are a wealth of knowledge, but the I want you to speak on uh, what it is that you think that theater teachers and theater educators, um, uh, even theater administrators, because there are quite a few. I have one that, that used to be a theater person. Uh, what is it that we can because. It, and we haven't touched on what we're doing today's day and age in 2020, 2021, with how we're changing kind of the format of learning. What is the silver lining right now that, that theater educators and theater teachers can take from the current situation that we are in with digital media and kind of changing the modalities and, and all this kind of stuff? And I'll stall by continuing to talk. If you <laughs> but what is it that, that we can take right now? Because a lot of people that listen to this are, are on Facebook a lot with, I've got a tech class, or I've got some class that isn't supposed to be online, uh, or some class that is not designed to be taught the way that they're currently teaching it. Uh, what is it that, that we can take from today's day and age moving forward that will live on maybe for a long time in education? I think... I mean, my immediate answer is I think every person you just described is a creative. Mm -hmm. They're all creative. Yeah. And you just happen to be teaching. They just happen to be teaching during a season 
of transition and transformation. Yeah. Every industry has that, right? Yeah. Um, algebra teachers are dealing with the same thing. Yeah. They don't have the whiteboard they can go up and write on. They've got right. to figure out how to engage those kids. It's a different way of teaching. But I think in the bigger picture of theater, I mean, I think some of, I think you've done this, you know, to do online shows yeah. and to do and to teach some new skills with some new tools and technology on drawing sets. Right. You know, there's, I think it's being able to say, okay, this is how I'm traditionally done something, mm -hmm. but now I've got to use my creative ability to take it to the next level. Yeah. And I don't know what that looks like, but, yeah. te but teachers and theater professionals have been doing that for years. Right. I mean, the things you're doing now in your profession in school and outside of school in lighting and sound right. are not what were done 10 years ago, 20 years ago, yeah. 30. And it's continued to change and evolve. So it's my advice is keep your mind and your heart open to accept the fact it's different. It's right. gonna be different. Let me use my skills to see how to how to bring it forward in creative, right. innovative ways. Okay, I like it. Do you think online shows are theater? I do. Okay. I think, I think I we, I think I we live our, <laughs> no I do. I think we live our lives, much of the life we live is theater. You know, I, I had an experience last week where an investigative reporter tried to confront me yeah. in an unexpected way when I was at an event. And, I mean, he did everything you've seen Wayne Delchefino and some of these yeah. investigative reporters do with the camera on me and him and him pinging me with question after yeah. question after question. I get in the car. He knocks on the window, yeah. knocks on the window, trying to look like the good guy, just trying to ask me a question. Yeah. I went home, and I told my wife, I said, it was straight up theater. Yeah. Yeah. Every bit of that was filmed for him to cut and edit to show that looks like I was doing a certain thing. Right. When really, all I did was walk to my car with him asking me questions right. that I wasn't answering. Right. And I said, it was theater. Yeah. And it just made me think so much of life is, is theater. Yeah. Minor wisdom.